Hello and welcome to Leader Horse to Water, the equine training and behaviour podcast. I'm Trudy Dempsey, your host. Today I'm joined by Heather K. McManamy. Heather helps horses and people learn to be more comfortable with healthcare procedures using positive reinforcement training. She also helps horses and riders with getting started under saddle, as well as ways to help develop confidence with riding. In her own words, she's a failed traditional horsewoman. She understands traditional skills and methodologies and how and why they work. But after 30 years working with horses, she didn't have the kind of success that she now has with positive reinforcement training. Heather has had fibromyalgia for nearly 40 years, and this has given her a deep insight into how chronic pain and fatigue affects all aspects of life for people and animals. It's because of this that she's been drawn to study neuroscience, behaviour, biomechanics and so forth. Her life experiences with neurodivergence because, as she says, she has a weird brain and chronic illness have given her some really strong opinions on the one-size-fits-all approach in American culture and in the equestrian industry in general, particularly with respect to learning. Heather, a very warm welcome. It's lovely to have you. Um, it's so lovely to be here. What I'd love you to do to start with is what I ask all guests who come on for the first time uh, is to tell us a little bit about your background. You know, maybe you were the small child getting into ponies or maybe it was a later ambition to ride horses. Tell us a bit about you and then sort of draw into how you got into positive reinforcement and the more behavioural sort of side of things so yeah go okay um so I have been a horse person um since before I was born for sure um had a couple of people in my horse family but no real access uh, my mom sent me to horse camp when I was nine and that was the end of that um I didn't shut up about horses until I was well I know I have, haven't since really um but I she finally got me a horse for Christmas when I was 12. Um, the most inappropriate horse possible. He was a yearling stallion, um, which was perfect. He ended up being absolutely amazing. Uh, and was I was super lucky that he was the best foundation I think I could have gotten um, because I had to learn to do everything myself. Uh, I didn't really get lessons. You know, we, we weren't super rich, so I didn't I didn't get saddles. I didn't get tack. I just kind of had to make it up as I went. Um, so that's uh, how I got started. And then just kind of kept making stuff up. Like that's, that's been sort of my thing all along. Um, I ended up with a an Arab gelding, um, gosh, 15 years ago now, um, that had some behavioral issues. He was really aggressive. Um, he had some health issues um, and just like he was the mystery horse that had all the problems that you just couldn't solve. You couldn't figure out what they were. The vets didn't know. Farriers kind of dismissed everything. Uh, so I ended up just trying to do different stuff with him. Um, and and he eventually got to a point where I really couldn't ride anymore because um, he just he he hated it and he was lame all the time. Um, and in the course of that <laughs> really long story short, a friend of mine ended up giving me her three-year-old Arab mare, um, who was 
she was an orphan, so she was weird. Um, she was probably the most normal orphan uh, I think I've ever come across, but definitely weird. And normal things didn't work on her either. Uh, so I ended up in in a backwards sort of way, finding positive reinforcement through Intrinsin, if you know who that is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so I got started with that, and that was, in in some ways, the the best way to do it, and, and in some ways, the worst, because there isn't, there's purposely not a lot of structure. Um, so... <laughs> The first thing that my horses learned was um, a lot of movement behaviors. Uh, so that is now, and my gelding has since passed. He he died in 2020, uh, but I still have the mare. And her favorite thing to do is all the movement stuff, which is great. I think it's charming and, and lovely, but vets don't think it's as funny. Other people that handle her don't think it's quite as funny. Um, so I ended up in a roundabout way coming to more structured behavioral behavioral stuff and positive reinforcement stuff because I had to solve all the problems that I created for myself. <laughs> <laughs> or more accurately, problems that I created for other people um, because it, it hasn't been a problem for me. I think it's hilarious uh, and it doesn't really, it doesn't change anything for me. Um, and And it makes, it brings so much joy, I think, to what I do with my horses, um, that it's, I, I have a hard time seeing it as a problem to be solved, but I also recognize that other people need to handle my horses. Um, so that's sort of the, the short story of, of how I got there. And then it just got way more fascinating. The more I did it, the more I looked at behavior and what is, to the best of our knowledge anyway, what's really going on versus what we've traditionally been told is happening. Um, the more those things started to resonate and the more I was able to really piece together um, more problem solving opportunities, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's, it's not, it's an unusual way because I haven't heard of anyone going through intrinsins because I think the guys at intrinsin, if I'm not wrong, were originally with Alex Curland and then developed some of her stuff and I think then branches have gone off different ways so you know the whole world of positive reinforcement is kind of somehow you can it's that you know degrees of separation you can always find somebody that came via somewhere else um, but it, it, it is unusual in that you know you you took that down a certain road and then thought yeah, I, I maybe need to do things for other people that are a little bit different. And I think that's what makes us as trainers so much more effective because you haven't just got one way to do it. You're aware that one client might need it one way and another client might need, you know, would be the movement stuff would be amazing. Um, so, you know, it's just having that ability to to dive into stuff, I think. So it, it, that's amazing. But I want to get on to... And we can dip into, you know, your personal stuff as we go, because I, I want to. Um, but I want to come back to the original reason that I asked you to come on the podcast, which was a, a fantastic Facebook post that you made. Now, we're friends on Facebook, but I don't really know you at all. And this is wonderful to get to meet you and to get to know you. So doing the podcast has many benefits uh, for me. Um, but 
you made one and, and I thought afterwards this is a really good idea and I should do it you made it in one of those sort of that you can put the background if you just put a short post I think you can just put it into a bright colored and it really as I was scrolling through you know doom scrolling in bed one night I was like oh my goodness that is so true I'm just gonna quote it because I thought it was you know so I'll tell people what I read um, Heather had written how do I become more credible I'm not exotic enough to be taken seriously. And it, it resonated massively with me. Not that I, I feel the need to be exotic, but I knew exactly what you were saying, um, that you probably read other people doing stuff. You see the posts that I do that some people get thousands of likes on and you think, hey, you know, those people are my people. Why don't they find me as exotic as that person? Do you want to take that up a little bit from there and tell me, you know, because I'm, I'm ascribing some thoughts to you, which may be completely different to what you were thinking at that moment. But, but that's how it hit me. And I thought, here's this person I don't know. I'm actually going to comment on this because I always feel awkward doing that because I think, oh, I don't really know this person. But I, anyway, let's go for it. And I did. Um, so, yeah, go on. Tell us what, what you were thinking when you wrote that. Oh, my. Um, it was full disclosure. It was sort of a moment of. I guess I'll call it insecurity because um, I I feel like I've been saying things not even necessarily training related things, but um, stuff about biomechanics and, uh, and writing. Writing is kind of how I got started teaching people, uh, but I had kind of a backdoor way uh, to do it. And I've been, I feel like I've been saying these things forever and got just blank stares from people. And along comes, you know, all of these, it, this is going to sound so, so bad, but along comes all of these folks that are kind of newer to the scene and they're saying these things and people are just, uh, just glomming onto it. And it's not that what they're saying is wrong, because if I felt that, then what I'm saying is wrong. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't know why it is that I'm not credible, I guess. Um, and it, maybe it is a, a marketing thing or, you know, I, I guess it, it just sort of made me sit down and think, what is it, how am I approaching this that it's not resonating with people? Like, how am I crafting this message in such a way that it just gets lost? Uh, or am I talking to the wrong people? Um, which is, you don't get as much of a choice on Facebook. You're just talking to everybody. Um, so yeah, it was more a moment of like, what what am I doing wrong? Why am I, why am I not good enough, really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and don't we all feel that? I'm I'm sure there will be people nodding along in their cars or sat at home with their headphones on going, yeah, yeah. And I think in our business particularly, it's because I think it attracts people who care a lot. And I think we care a lot that we get our message out there. And I think there's always this difficult balance between I need to earn money. This is what I do as a job. And there's nothing wrong with earning money. You know, we have to pay our insurances. We have to pay for our CPD. We might want to join associations and study. And, you know, it's not cheap to do what we do. And you can't just sit at home not earning any money. 
but it almost feels like it's dirty to sell your wares in public. And so I, just a quick question. Do you do your own uh, publicity? So you do all your own social media and, um, you know, sort of write everything yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. And I've been actually doing that since before. Well, not before the Internet, but <laughs> since certainly before Facebook. So I've been a photographer for 22 years um, and got actually really lucky um, that I started photography right before the, the digital revolution. Um, and as more and more people picked up digital cameras and started doing photography as a business, um, other photographers uh, that had been in the business for a long time, uh, and thankfully so, um, found opportunities to start then teaching business and marketing uh, and things like that. So the market was flooded with all these new photographers and new opportunities for the old photographers to uh, to add to their um, what they offer. Uh, so I got really lucky in that sense that I got to go through some of that. Um, it still felt gross as a as a photographer. It still feels just as bad as a photographer as it does as a as a trainer. Um, but it is it is really good stuff to at least know about and let it rattle around in your brain. And uh, and you know I've had twenty years of practice of at least trying to focus my message and um, and and just try to do a better job of communicating. I guess. Um, so yeah, I do all my own uh, marketing for for both businesses. I'm still a photographer, um, and it has been really helpful to have that as um, as a little bit of an education. It doesn't mean that I'm great at it or that I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I don't get insecure sometimes and um, and wonder what's going on. But mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I do, and I also really enjoy organizing the information mm. uh, which is something I never would have thought but uh, I do enjoy finding that one little message um, that we can put in uh, in one post and and hopefully provoke some questions and because uh, I think that's that feels to me like a a more comfortable way to to market quote unquote uh, is to have a conversation rather than say this is me and this is what I do and um and you can take it or leave it because yeah. uh, people will leave it yeah. <laughs> if you no, if no, that them, <laughs> yeah that's so true and I see all the time this you've got to ask questions and I, I have colleagues who go on the courses and yeah I did an Instagram course last January which was you know like 30 days of Instagram posting and I posted more than I've ever posted I never used to do much on Instagram I kind of somehow got people following me but through doing very little but it got stuck at around the I don't know 600 mark and so I did this January challenge where we had to say something every day and it hurt I mean I'm not I don't relish writing those things I wish I was you I don't I I love I love writing courses and I love writing the information, but I then worry, have I said too much? Have I said it in a way that's going to alienate, alienate some people? So I, I find that bit really hard pressing the, the post button on it. But this month that we all did, and I saw other people, we weren't all horsey people. And a lot of the, the advice was probably sort of the stuff that came off that time when you were talking about the photographers all going into helping people, you know, 
uh, market themselves as something else. And, uh, you know, we, we were encouraged to post all these things. And now I see some of those people, those horsey people posting, and I know they're still using that same format. It didn't work for me in that month because I posted a lot. The algorithm liked me. And so I think I got about 20 new likes, which isn't massive for posting every single day. And all those, what do you think of this? And tell me a bit about me so that you can know who you're buying from and that stuff. It didn't really work with the horsey people. I didn't find. So I thought, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I'm, I'm at the age of that I don't really need to increase my business. I like people to know about my courses and I like to maintain that contact or I will drop off a cliff. But it's a little bit different for me. I just wonder what, how come some people seem to be so good at getting it right? I mean, I won't name any names, but we all know there are some really good marketing people who post fabulous photographs. They must, either they're really good and they have loads of time, or they must have somebody helping them do it, which that's cool too. But, you know, um, is it just a marketing thing or or are you and me not hitting the mark sometimes when we post our, you know, I, I mean, that's that's unfair because you maybe get a lot of interaction on some of your posts and less so on others and you can work out why. But, you know, it, do you think, is, is there, what am I getting wrong? Oh, my. If I could answer that question, I could probably <laughs> uh, go into marketing <laughs> and, and maybe make a little bit more money, uh, but not be nearly as happy. Um, oh boy. So yeah, that's a, uh, that's a multifaceted, uh, question and answer. I think I, I am biased when, uh, in, in saying that really good photos do make a huge difference. Um, but it, it has been, um, proven to me, uh, through my own work and through being able to not, <laughs> not being able to photograph myself. Um, that's been really tricky. Um, so I've gotten kind of lucky with um, video stills and things like that, because uh, I at least know where to put the camera. Uh, so uh, I can get sometimes lucky with video stills. Um, I think I think some of it has to do with being honest versus, and maybe not even versus, but I'll put it that way honest versus controversial and coming up with um, ideas that people are going to talk about even if they hate them. <laughs> I think it, it's a good way to get uh, to get noticed if you say something and people are like that's terrible and then they list all the reasons why that's terrible. Um, that's still good for your algorithm. <laughs> that, that is such a good point I mean honestly that has happened I don't know whether you've, you've probably been slightly following social media the last couple of weeks and there's been a lot of anti-behaviorist type stuff out there because like all we do is click a train we don't do anything else we don't care about how the horse lives its life or any of those things we only walk out with a clicker every day of our lives but you know that's another conversation uh, but but certain people have been sort of saying that positive reinforcement isn't that great and you know uh, and, and starting posts with warning um you know this is not going to be a very popular post and I think why aren't I writing those but they're, they're not me so is that what you mean when you sort of say honesty versus um you know sort of grabbing the headlines in any way where you kind of want to should I be writing those should we be writing those sort of posts um I mm, 
I guess it depends on your aim. Um, I, because I, and I, and I really do truly think that these controversial folks, if you want to call them that, really do want to connect with their audience just the same way that, that we do. Like they're, they're still people. Um, they still have businesses and they still need to do what they need to do to express themselves and, uh, and get their business going or keep their business going. Um, I do think it is a matter of style in some ways. Uh, I, I try not to write those, those posts that need a warning ahead of time. Um, yeah. because that's, Sorry, I Heather. I, I'm going to have to stop there just a second. And, and apologies to listeners. Somebody's trying to get hold of me, and it keeps popping up on my screen. So okay. I'm just, I'm just going to give them a very quick um, message that we're at a later time than they obviously think we are today. Oh. Um, <laughs> apologies for that. These things happen, guys. Yeah, um, it's the theme today. I think <laughs> it is. Yes, Heather and I got our timings wrong because, um, yeah, because we're on different continents. And daylight savings time will just always get you in the end. Oh, it's terrible. Um, so sorry, apologies about that, Heather. Yeah, let's get back to where we were and people being um controversial and uh the fact that they still love you know connecting with people. It's not a bad connection, but that I would feel awkward with that. Yeah, and I think it it's the kind of connection I think that's in question. Um, at least for me, it's a question for me because I, I, for, for myself personally, I want to, I do want to make people think and, and I do think that asking all of these, well, I'll put it this way. One of the things that I think coming out of all of this recent controversy is the fact that people are talking about it. Um, and, and there is a lot of misinformation, but there's a lot of people going, do we think that? Is that, is that true? Um, is that something, how can we incorporate? I, I, I try to think, how can I incorporate that? Is there, is there any little bit of truth in that? Um, is there anything I can do with that? That's, that is going to be useful. Um, and so I guess that's sort of how I try to look at it uh, rather than feed into the controversy and, um, and, create more drama and get not that I didn't I mean again full disclosure I <laughs> I did uh have some responses that were more biased I guess um and that's that's my knee-jerk reaction and and then the the job I think is to to really look at it and be and wonder why why do I feel that way um what is it about that that is really bugging me um and what then what do I do with it uh and so I've more and more gone through this process of okay that's really uncomfortable I really hate that why um and then and then working through it and trying to be really honest with myself and I think in being honest with myself it makes it easier to be honest with uh with my audience and the people that are reading what I'm writing um because I don't think vulnerability is a bad thing, but I do think it has to come from a slightly more neutral place than just a reactionary, um, well, this is bad and, and because it, it says bad things about me. Um, and it, that might be true, but it's 
it's a it's a good time to examine why I guess um so yeah I don't I don't love the controversial posts for the sake of controversy but um I I do think they're useful in some way Mm, yeah I think what they do they have for me if I've ever accidentally done one I did one once about uh, male trainers standing on the backs of horses with two whips and how oh you know it was and how many thousands hundreds of thousands of women here in the UK had loved these videos and and then there was another guy standing astride a horse lying on the ground it just made me feel uncomfortable really uncomfortable and I don't often feel that way so I posted about it and there were a few guys came on it not many nearly all women agreeing with me which is not wasn't my point I was sounding off I you know maybe I shouldn't sound off on social media I rarely do but when I do you know it's it might be more controversial and yeah but did I get to any of the people that I really want to because I want to ask those women and majority of them are women that like that type of post I just want to ask them why do you what is it about what this guy is doing to this horse that you love so much and you know if they could honestly explain to me I might be more accepting of it maybe they just hit like because they saw it had a thousand likes and they're not really thinking about it much I'd love them to think about it but I'm never going to get to them because I nearly always just post on my own social media I don't know about you but I don't often share my stuff elsewhere Mm -hmm. so you're almost in a bit of an echo chamber of people who like you and either have had lessons with you or know people that have or have met you at things and like you or have done a podcast with you and you know now you're mates it's it's just you know so it can be a bit of an echo chamber and I think sometimes I see those controversial posts by colleagues of mine that I actually do respect a lot but are good at marketing and they do bring in some of those outside voices they might not listen at the time but maybe some little elements dripped in so I don't think they're for me but I can see that for some people they are a useful connection but I'm I think I'm with you um you know I did uh, note down there that you said it's not the kind of connection that you're looking for and I think that's so important that it has to be something that we can fully feel comfortable with so I suppose my other question then is so are, are we not good enough is what we do is that not enough you know um where how can I be better because I you know you must be like this Uh, maybe I'm not maybe I'm the only person that's like this and I think if I could have the British dressage team stood in front of me I could make life a heck of a lot better for all the horses and they probably would do a lot better their scores would improve but they ain't never coming to me never ever Um, they're going to probably go to you know some big wig in probably in the United States because you guys are way more exotic than we are Monty Roberts came and the Queen loved him um you know it's it's kind of that sort of oh this is a foreigner in these parts and and you get looked at in a different way you know so I think it is a really hard job when you know you can offer something but you just don't you can't find that little way in and I speak to lots of colleagues who are the same Uh, and I think one way we can is by collaboration you know like you and me it's just a tiny collaboration today but you know maybe going forwards we need to forge those um 
I don't know, what are they? Uh, some sort of ties with people that do things very differently to us and maybe not look down at them. I'm not saying you do, but I might have done in the past, look down at more natural horsemanship people and think, oh, that's not my bag and I don't like what they're doing. But maybe there is some space for us all. There's so many potential clients out there in the world <laughs> and we kind of all fight over the, oh no, that one's mine, I gotta have that one. But, but when we start sharing and sharing clients too, I think everybody gains from it ultimately. Yeah, again, that's there's a there's a lot there uh, to unpack. Um, to your question, like, are we just not good enough? I. That's me. I mean, me. I didn't mean us. I meant I really meant me because you are good enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, same. And what's what's really funny and kind of lovely about this conversation is that um, I first watched a free webinar and embarrassingly now I don't remember exactly what it was about because uh, it was a while ago uh, that you had put on through I believe it was through understand horses uh, um, and I was like oh I love her she's I I love her energy I love uh, the information that she's got and and in the back of my head um, she's so much bigger and more exotic uh, than <laughs> than I'm ever gonna be like I can't possibly imagine getting to that point um so uh so same <laughs> you are clear. <laughs> uh, at least I think so um but it is again it's one of those double-edged sword things if there's there's a line between thinking I am good enough I deserve to do this work I have good things to bring and I am better than everybody else and I'm the one true voice and um and everyone should listen to me because uh, because I have it all going on. Um, so that's that's a a fine line to walk. And I think, in a sense, like everything else we do, kind of comes from walking that line. Uh, because if we don't feel like we're good enough to put information out, we aren't going to do it. And certainly, I'm guilty of that. I'll have um, a couple weeks where I can put out you know, a bunch of what I think are really great posts. And then I'll have a couple of weeks where I'm like, I just, I'm going to bow up. I'm not going to say anything. I can't, um, I can't handle all the, the lack of response, I guess. It's not even, it feels like rejection. It's not even rejection. It just feels like a, a, a rejection from, from the lack of response for whatever reason, whether nobody sees the post, nobody cares about it, or people just roll their eyes and walk away. Um, so I, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of what we do comes from feeling good enough, and I don't have an answer to that. I <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Yeah. Um, um and I, now I think it's a tough one. I'm just going to say there that I think that a lot of people listen, a lot of people will read, but they might not comment. So when thousands of people are seeing it you might get 100 responses. When only four, three, 400 see it, you might get five or six responses if you're lucky. And so I think the echo chamber, the whole emptiness can feel really, really hard. But I also think, because from the podcast, somebody out of the blue will say, I've been listening from the beginning and I just wanted to say today it really hit me or that one six months ago really did. 
you don't get that you you know it's nice that people bother to do it but it can be really really hard to get any you know instant gratification as it were you know so I think it, it's social media isn't it Heather you know it's a really and they keep making it harder for us so Facebook really wants us to spend money is that that's really a thing isn't it yeah yeah I and it, again they're they're running a business so yeah they they want us to to pay for their free service mm, yeah. <laughs> basically yeah um and in in a sense you can't really blame them for that that's that's our culture we're we're supposed to make money um and and in some senses we're supposed to feel bad about it too um so and that's kind of going to your point about other professionals and their what they do and their viewpoints um and being able to sort of collaborate with them that's I I can't I wish we could do more of that uh but I think it takes a lot of emotional maturity um and a lot of the ability to just accept that there are things in the world that you don't like uh, and that you can't change them uh, and and to make a decision about how bad is it really if um, this, for example, natural horsemanship trainer uses pressure in a way that you wouldn't want to. Um, is it, how bad is it really? And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> mm. And does it, does it move the needle forward for folks that were maybe uh, using even more pressure or doing things in, in a less understanding way for their horses? And what I guess the, the underlying question is, is still what, what good can come of that? Um, are they, are they doing good uh, in, in the world and for horses and for people? And, and if so, how can we, and is it our business to enhance that? Um, you know, how how can how can we make it even better without alienating people, mm. um, or saying, yeah, that's 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 good, but you know, what we're doing over here, what we're doing is in, in the R plus community is so much better, uh, because I that does happen. Um, you know, there's there's tribalism everywhere, and I feel like that's, and I think that that is enhanced by social media because it is as we all know, so much easier to type something rather than look someone in the eye and say, I think you're bad or, or whatever. Uh, although at least in, in American uh, news media, that is happening. <laughs> we have a lot of people that are out there protesting one thing or another and looking other people in the eye and getting into fist fights uh, about politics whatever it is that you you want to fight about we we can fight about it we we are good at fighting um but i'd really like to see people sit down and just have a an intellectual discussion about it and uh but that's yeah it's hard it's it's hard mm -hmm. when when someone is saying hey you're you're wrong and you're spreading all this m misinformation and it doesn't it puts people on the defensive and then you're, you're never going to have a good conversation. 
Exactly. And and the whole bit for me is ultimately, I mean, I am, I love positive reinforcement. I'm a clicker trainer. It's how I would describe myself. But sometimes it just is not the best thing for a person and that horse at that time. And that might be down to their skill, might be down to my skill as a teacher too. You know, we have to be honest about that. But negative reinforcement works too. I mean, we can't, we can't cherry pick it and say, well, that doesn't work. We can say, this is a much kinder way to train. But, you know, when I use some negative reinforcement for a client who whose horse would have their hand off and needs help right now, not something that takes a year to process, I have to think, how bad is it that that person just walks forward and has the lightest, tiniest consideration of anything on a rope and the horse goes with them how evil is that and it, mm-hmm. it is all by degrees and and what I find a lot with with my students for instance are that they're very academic even if they're not academic people they they've come to positive reinforcement with a massively academic head-on and they can quote all these amazing people who aren't trainers they're not trainers they are People maybe in the ABA world or, you know, they're, they're behaviorists in the truer sense of that word. And, and they might be scientists, but they don't actually do any training. And they they do all these fantastic papers and a lot of them will be professors or, you know, university people. And I love them and I love to hear everything they have to say because nothing would change in our world if we didn't poke it and see if it worked. I, I get that and I love it. But fundamentally, we're the guys at the sharp end who have to take this to the real world and say that can this work? Can giving food in return for behavior or can giving scratches for for behavior work and so I think that sometimes we end up under the bus a bit because people laud the people that are saying you must only do it this way but we have to fulfill that we have to get out there with clients and show how it works and it ain't easy you know if it had been easy I would have just stayed teaching dressage it was a lot easier you know yeah (laughs) yeah that's there's so much messiness in it and and there's so much opportunity in that messiness um because it there isn't there isn't one way there's you know there's 75 more ways to do something than there are people doing those things um and so there is massive opportunity to find so many different ways to solve a problem or teacher behavior or um um basically or communicate things you know there's there's so many different ways to do it uh and but yeah where we run into trouble is when people stop seeing that broader perspective uh and don't don't even consider other ways uh to do things and certainly i'm guilty of this too um because i have i've been uh, a positive reinforcement trainer for three years it'll be three years next month actually um so you know not terribly long Um, And I think in the beginning, it is really easy to get super attached to a particular um, methodology, ideology, you know, all of those uh, ologies um, and not get and and not stay open to things like negative reinforcement. Um, Yeah, as you say, it it works like and you can you can do it in a way that is not 
going to damage a horse or damage a relationship. Um, but that is also messy uh, because there's there's so much nuance to it. And it's so hard to talk about the nuance uh, because we as a species, I think, don't really want nuance. We just want the the plan and the 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 way to do things and uh, just to get the thing done uh, and move on to the next thing. And I, I, I like getting things done. <laughs> I like pointing to a behavior that uh, my horse does or a client's horse does and saying, I, I did that. Like I made that happen uh, and look how good it is. Um, but it isn't, it isn't all just us. Like the horse is a part of it. The client is a part of it. Um, and there's so many variables that it gets, it gets really hard to pinpoint what is actually happening. Uh, and to, to sort of live in that nuance and that messiness is really tricky, I think. Mm, for sure it is. And I think what people don't like is to know that it can be quite hard. Now, yeah, there are horses out there that have been so easy, not a problem, but we all know that nowadays, you know, horses get weaned unnaturally, all the lifestyle things of being in a barn a lot of the time and not having free access to space and friends, uh, you know, being in cross ties constantly when they're being groomed and tacked up, all these things lead to it being quite hard for horses to be naturally you know find things naturally easy but but some horses do some horses are just a dream and you think well, if they were all like this this would be so easy and but training in general isn't easy you know if it, if it was then everybody would be doing it and nobody would have problems and they wouldn't be coming to you to say you know am I unbalanced and how can you help me ride better and how can you help me start my horse better um, they would be just doing it themselves, you know, and 12-year-old and you who, you know, had a, a stallion, an, an unsuitable stallion, you know, kind of there's something about youth that just you somehow get through it. But but maybe you were just so open and young and didn't have the hang-ups that a lot of grown-ups, you know, grown-ups, they've got kids, they're, they're busy, they've got jobs, they don't have any time, they don't have enough money. And, and so the training is kind of something that goes out the window in week one of horse ownership. You know, do I have to train it? I didn't realise I had to do that. It's the same in the dog world. You know, dog people, people don't buy a dog thinking, I'm going to have to train it to just sit in the pub with me or you know go out on on holidays with me or go on the beach they don't think that when they get it the same with a horse so I do think it yeah it's hard and we should have all those tools in our toolkit when I talk negative reinforcement I'm not talking kicking whipping um spurs you know I'm not talking any of that and it breaks my heart that people would think that that's where I'd be coming from if I felt that I was going to use negative reinforcement so I think there's this whole language thing where some people have gone off on that, I want to be a purist, you know, even just taking your dog for a walk, there is no way that what a dog is trained so well that it never pulls on the lead, runs off to eat something that it shouldn't. Um, it just doesn't happen. It's not the real world. And when we're going to sit on a horse, you know, all the things that I learned as a dressage trainer, I, I'm not going to unlearn them because they work, you know, in terms of biomechanics, which is your bag as well. Um, then you know it's it's just the real world and we have to accept that we move about on the horse just as much as the horse is moving we can't be absolutely perfect so yeah I think the conversation needs to be a lot more open but then maybe we 
because we're too maybe people don't know what we do yeah I do wonder this because that is one of the things that the the Instagram lady who was very good and she did it all for nothing bless her um but she kept saying you tell people who you are and what you do and I do think that some people look at me and think well what do you actually do maybe that's a problem do we I mean I did have a quick look at all your stuff and I can certainly see the biomechanics stuff clearly is something that is you know dear to you I saw some lovely photographs of you you know I think you they were stills of of videos as you that you were talking about earlier you know so you you people maybe do get a feel but maybe they don't get enough information you know maybe we're not good enough at that end of it yeah that um, that's something that I've been grappling with a lot this year. Um, I was unbelievably lucky to be able to ride with um, two different vets this year. Uh, and I got to hang out with a farrier also uh, and started doing that because I wanted to, for the for the husbandry stuff and cooperative care stuff, I really wanted to get their perspective and see, you know, where they're coming from and what, where I can make things better for them because their lives are so difficult it um you know we lose vets all the time uh it, either they're they leave the profession or they they leave the planet um and no one should have to feel like that because of their job um so i really uh, took that issue to heart um and in riding with one of the vets uh he was such so lovely he asked me so how do we get you more clients? And and I I just went blank. I have no idea uh, because I I don't even really have a set client demographic. I guess you know I, I have so many different people come to me for so many different reasons, um, and I think having a very definitive this is what I do and this is how I do it is really important in uh, in in the marketing, but also honestly, from an identity perspective, just from a personal perspective, um, because it's, it's really hard to say. And I, it took me, oh my gosh, it took me two weeks of, of sort of near constant thinking about like, what's my elevator speech. Um, and I finally came up with it and it still doesn't, it still feels really superficial. Um, it still doesn't really describe again, all the nuances of the things that I do and everything that goes into it. And I don't think it's possible to do that. I don't think it's possible to, to say, uh, to, to accurately convey everything that you do in one 25 word sentence mm -hmm. um and which is in a way sort of unfortunate because you, you don't give the people everything they need I guess to make a decision about whether they want to work with you or not um and because there is no I I'm not I don't necessarily want to use names but I'm I'm not a brand I guess and so it's it's not hard or it's not easy to recognize what I do because there is no sort of uh, container to put it in. Yeah. Um, there's no packaging. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah. So, I think that's, that's very true. And if you think about a farrier or a physiotherapist or yeah, an osteopath, the horse owner knows what they're getting. 
Yeah. So, you know, what do they get when I say I'm a clicker trainer and I'm a behavior problem solver? You know, I get people who are at the end of the road. They can't go anywhere with anything else. And they come to me. And that is sad because I think I'm way more than that. Um, I'm very happy. I have, you know, for, for what I need now, I have plenty of clients. I took a long time to swap over from training to adding behavior as well. And that I would hate to be a behaviorist alone because I would be dead broke. Uh, <laughs> it's just the hardest thing to sell to people, um, you know, but I get I have some fantastic clients, but they aren't enough if I was, you know, younger and I was having to pay my mortgage and all the things that you have to do when you're younger and raise your kids. I, I, it would be really hard. So, you know, the training has carried me through. And yeah, I see in you, you have fingers in different pies and it kind of gets us through. But again, it, as you say, it makes it really hard, that elevator speech to say, this is who I am in very small number of w- words without ending up sounding like you're some weird horse whisperer who that's what everyone always goes oh well, you do psychology for horses do you or you're the head doctor for horses well not really I love doing training I absolutely love teaching new behaviors to uncomplicated horses you know so that's one thing I'm just going to ask you what's your favorite client if if you could put finish this call and have someone contact you today what would that person be if they were your ideal client would it be that you'd like to be on the the somebody needing riding and fixing with their balance would it be the horse needs fixing and you know the the, the combination or would it be behavior what's your what would be your favorite client oh boy um i as much as i love all of the cooperative care stuff um my very favoriteest thing to do is uh, is riding um, and trying to do that in a really respectful and, and healthy way. Um, and even more favoritist is uh, bridalless riding uh, because that's, I feel like there's so much to explore there and it gives the horse so much more uh, opportunity to, to express themselves and be themselves and tell you, you know, how they feel about things. Um, and and I really really love the the biomechanical and sort of physical nuance of it, um, and and teaching people that they can do a lot with a very little bit of movement. Um, that it's it doesn't you don't have to have any bridle, uh, bitless or, or otherwise um, necessarily, and or spurs or a whip, or, you know, you don't have to have all the tools. You can just have your body and the horse's body and, um, and a neck rope, um, to communicate with. And, and you can get some pretty amazing things that way. That part of it is, is kind of the most attractive, I think, of all the things that I do. Uh, but it's a really difficult thing to introduce to people. Uh, it, particularly, uh, at least in my area, there are a lot of traditional folks um, who have gotten into so many internet arguments about uh, whether you need a bit or not to make a horse round. Um, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, so there's a lot of that. And and talking to people about, well, actually, you can use 
a horse's sort of natural behavior and their natural learning style to do the same things um, that that don't require any kind of constraint, uh, any kind of physical constraint anyway. Um, I think you can, there's a lot that you can do. Uh, I, my favorite hashtag, I'll just sum it up with this. My favorite hashtag is brains, not reins. Uh-huh. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that, that's as good as all the gear and no idea. I love that one as well. But uh, but yeah, that's that's fantastic. I love it because, yeah, people don't people can give up these things. But it's hard because you know I have some clients who are in very traditional yards and they're the only one. Now, interestingly, I often then pick up other people who have been watching and go, oh, you know, I think I'd like a bit of that. But but it is hard if you are in an area and your area is probably much more vast and, and less densely populated in terms of horse people than mine is. Um, then it is harder because you might be going out to individual people on their own property and that never is going to make you more clients. So it is, yeah, I think geography can make it really hard to to get clients that way. I always found before, and even now, I would say most of my clients come through recommendation. So that might be internet now, it might be through online stuff, but they still have come through somebody else saying, uh, you know, you, you could get Trudy to do that and and that's that is when it feels really comfortable because you know they know what they're buying into they haven't read your website wrong and got the whole wrong end of the stick um but yeah I think I think for me the the whole and it sounds like you too I I like a little difference that puts a smile on a rider or a horse owner's face and that they go wow and I also love because I do some more normal things like poll work clinics and stuff like that where some of my positive reinforcement people will come to but I don't bang on about positive reinforcement I the people that use it we we use it wholeheartedly and that's it but the other people learn that their saddle doesn't fit now I'm not a saddle fitter but I can see a saddle that's not comfortable I can Mm -hmm. tell them when their horse doesn't want to go forwards that there's probably some pain issue there you know so it's those opportunities I might not have converted them to use a clicker or to use positive reinforcement but I've got them thinking and I've got a little bit more for that horse. So, you know, it sounds like that's exactly where you're coming from, that you you really want to make a difference, not just for horses, but for, for, for riders, for horse women, men to have smiles on their faces as well, thinking, ah, I just learned something and Heather showed me how to do it, you know, because that's just the awesome bit about it, isn't it, about teaching? Yeah, I, yeah, I've got goosebumps now. Um, because I had an experience uh, a couple of weeks ago with somebody who has a young um, a young mare and had had some troubles with her um, that long story um, and through no fault of her own the, the horse was just was just having a hard time uh, so we started working on it it was it, it it's like a tiny version of the reverse round pen because um, all we had were some blocks and some poles. So we made a tiny little square um, and, and started to just get the idea of the, the horse going around the outside. Uh, and by the end, like she had this huge smile and she's like, this is fun again. Uh, it hasn't been fun for like a year and, and it's fun again. Um, and that, if I never taught any, 
any of the, my favorite things to teach, um, if that kept happening, that would be just fine. Uh, it, it really, this, this ought to be fun. There's no reason this shouldn't be fun. We aren't doing this to save lives. <laughs> we aren't at war. There's, there's no reason to fight about these things. Um, it should really be fun. And there should be a really deep joy to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the horse also. And I think the horse did, uh, once she kind of got that, she's pretty new to clicker, clicker training. Uh, but once she kind of got the game, you see her light up a little bit. And, and, and this happens over and over and over with, uh, particularly with horses that are just starting to figure it out. You see them figure it out uh, or get an inkling, an idea of what the game really is. Uh, and then they they just perk up and they get so enthusiastic about it. And that's uh, that's your in. That's your in for um, cooperation and and for precision. Like you can get so much more precise because the horse is so interested in what you're doing um, that they will they will try. They will make the effort. Um, and so, yeah, if I never got to teach bridalist riding or, or even honestly ever do it myself again, um, which hopefully that doesn't happen, um, <laughs> plan to go ride today. Um, but if, if none of that ever happened again, that, that initial joy and sort of process of discovery is really, um, really, I think a huge part of why I keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but let's face it, we do need something back because it is tough. It is hard. I mean, it's nothing like a, a vet's life and, uh, you know, their their lives are always in the balance one way or another. And, and I think especially working with large animals, it's really, really tricky for them. Um, but but yeah, I love that. It shouldn't be war and it, it should be fun and there should be some pleasure and we shouldn't be beating ourselves up too much about it, I think. Yeah. And, and it can be hard because of that positive tribe who want everything to be positive and that isn't how the world is especially not with horses around so yeah I, I I love that I love where you're coming from on that and you know honestly sitting talking to you I think you need to do some lives and even if nobody watches them to begin <laughs> with one they can watch the replays but you have a really lovely natural way of talking to people so I honestly play to your strengths and you know get out there and put yourself out there because I think then people know who Heather is and they know you know what you have to offer and they can sort of identify with the, the person you are uh, and your bio is fantastic but Heather you didn't tell us how we can find you so how am I going to send people to look up Heather um, when they after this podcast when they they want to know and it sometimes can take a long time for that to filter through but you know tell us where we can find you so that everyone's got access to that sure so um I, I'm on Instagram um at Equus Integratus which is all one word um Facebook uh, also Equus Integratus but two words um my website is um equusintegratus.com and that's uh I, I've actually been contemplating putting up all of my old Facebook posts on there also, because there's, there's so much information that happens like on the fly. Yeah. Um, that's really helpful, I think for people. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you just, if you just search my name too, Heather K. McManamy, uh, you'll find I'm, I'm out there. Uh, you'll find my photography stuff too. 
Um, so if you go to my photography website, which is shorthorsestudios.com, you'll also see a link to my training website. Um, so yeah, I try to try to be easy to find. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I will put links in the show notes anyway, obviously, to to where people can find you. So, you know, just to finish on our, well, not finish entirely, but just finish that conversation, the whole thing about exotic and whether we can be, you can be exotic and whether that would make a difference to how many people you were, were teaching or not or interacting on Facebook. Do we do we think we just carry on being ourselves? So are we going to see an exotic Heather in the future? <laughs> um, gosh, that's an excellent question. Uh, I, you know, I think it's sort of, ha- you have to define what exotic really means. Um, I, interestingly, somebody that uh, responded to that post, uh, I think interpreted it as, um, a racial thing or I had said something about um you know people in other locations um and to me like people in the UK are exotic (laughs) because they aren't here um so yeah I think defining what exotic really means uh, am am I going to get there I it might end up that my point of view and hopefully this is the way that it works this is how I'd like it to work that my point of view is different enough, my perspective is different enough that it still resonates, but it's it feels new, I guess. It feels integrated. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, hopefully, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Hopefully I get yeah. to be a bit more exotic just based on where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think you will. I think the future will be bright. I think you're young enough. I think that it feels like, oh, if I don't do it this year or next year, it's not going to happen. But, you know, I, I moved a lot when I was in my 40s and then my early 50s. And I started again and I started again. And I thought, oh, why am I keep doing this? Why don't I stay in one place? And I've not that long moved again. Um, but it doesn't matter you know it, it's worked for me enough you know I'm never going to be a worldwide there's very few in the clicker training world uh, worldwide names but you know I'm comfortable I suppose with where I am I certainly don't feel exotic um, but I get you in terms of you know when somebody comes from somewhere different and we have over the years imported clicker trainers from America to the UK to train people and they they're lovely people and they're fantastic at what they do but there probably were people here that can do it but because we're not exotic it it hasn't happened so I think there is a certain sales pitch that comes with people coming from abroad and I now know that you know I was very lucky to go to the IABC conference last year and present and you know so in that way that helped my exoticness um, because you are now you know an international person and so I think it is it's a process and I you are going to get there without a doubt Um, I know that's not what you came on for but you know you I I can I can tell you will Um, and I think there's one thing that I'm going to do I I might not define exotic because I I don't think I'm I'm certainly not young enough to need to feel exotic but I am going to define who I am and what I do you've you've kind of given me that back again and I've I've forgotten that and I, I think we should challenge everyone that's listening who's the trainer to tell us 
exactly what they do and and what and maybe because i do this with cues all the time i say what's your cue and what does your horse think the cue is let's have a look see if it's the same i think maybe we should test other people and say what do you think i do because i'm sure a lot of people haven't got a clue what i do they just go click a trainer but but what do i do it doesn't click a trainer doesn't say anything does it uh, heather it's been fantastic to have you on i want to finish with what I do always with guests, which is to ask, do you have any advice for people who are maybe just starting out as trainers or are thinking of starting out in positive reinforcement or have got stuck? I loved your story about, you know, how how everything was wild and horses were offering loads of behavior um, and movement and, and how you had to look at that. But, you know, what is there a piece of advice that is is from Heather's heart for, for people listening today? Mm. ultimately I think take it seriously enough to to be dedicated to it but don't take it so seriously that you get stuck in uh, a particular mindset or a particular group uh, way of doing things um, yeah be open to different perspectives uh, but also know what works for you uh, and what's going to work in that moment. Uh, because yeah, there are so many options uh, in from moment to moment. There are so many options and um, yeah, I guess find the balance between sort of a solid foundation of things that you know work and know to be true and, and also be able to reach for things that may or may not work, but let's give it a try. Let's be open to it. Yeah, I love that. I love that don't don't step away from it thinking I can't try this, you know, give it a go and you might fail, but you're not you're not gonna break your horse doing the things that we do. It's you know, it's always recoverable from, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I really love that. And I hope people have enjoyed it. We've been going on for over an hour now. Um, oh not God. going on, not going on. We've been chatting. It's been really nice. It's been a very, very chill conversation. And I think there's loads more. We'll have you back on again and talk some proper training another time. But you know, I just thought it was such an interesting thought. And I'm glad I commented on it, and I'm glad that we've managed to put some time together to come and do this so uh, thank you so much and uh, we'll see you on the podcast again soon guys uh, thanks heather thank you thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed it as much as i always enjoy recording these podcasts please share it as far and wide as you can. I think it's so important that these things get out into the wider equine community. Until next time, bye.